When I said yes to Jesus in high school, I found myself reading my Bible each night. And I remember coming to Ezekiel 34. Those verses connected with me in a way that a lot of the other verses hadn't. It's a passage about how God felt about the leaders of that day and also some of the people. And maybe it's because my eyes are being opened at that time to real needs all around the world. Maybe it's because my eyes are being opened at that time to the difference that leaders can make when they're leading well. Maybe it's because my eyes are being opened to a God who really cares. All I know is this. When I was a new believer, that passage, Ezekiel 34, resonated with me in a way that most other stories and poems and other portions of the Bible didn't. I'm going to read a few excerpts from Ezekiel 34, from this prophetic word that God spoke through his prophet. And as I do, I want you to listen really closely to the metaphors that God uses along with the passion that's behind these words. This appears to be something that God really, really cares about. Here we go. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep. You eat the fat, you clothe yourself with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you've not strengthened, the sick you've not healed, the injured you've not bound up, the stray you've not brought back, the lost you've not sought. With force and harshness, you've ruled them. So they were scattered. They became food for the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. My sheep have become prey, food for the wild beasts. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep. I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he's among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep. And I will gather them from the countries. I will feed them with good pasture. And the mountains Heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down. And on rich pasture they'll feed. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the stray. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. As for you, my flock, says the Lord God, behold, I will judge between sheep and sheep. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down your feet the rest of your pasture? And a drink of clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water at your feet. And must my sheep eat what you've trodden and drink what you've muddied? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you push with your side and shoulder and thrust out all the weak with your horns. I will rescue my flock. I will judge between sheep and sheep. I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. I will send down showers in their season. They shall be showers of blessing. They shall dwell securely and none of them shall be made afraid. And I shall then, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God and that they, the house of Israel, my people, human sheep of my pasture. reason I read all that was this. On a scale of one to ten, How strongly does God feel about these things? If we were in a small group right now where you felt safe, I bet we'd have a whole lot of emotion that we would see in one another if we started to have a conversation about sheep and shepherds. 
and some of the shepherds that we've seen who don't care about their sheep. World leaders throughout history who incite war or oppress others for their personal gain. Politicians who keep kicking the can down the road. People in positions of power and authority who abused their positions, who took advantage of your trust, who hurt kids and other vulnerable people. Bosses and boards who forgot why they were placed in those positions of authority or even a mom or dad who abandoned you or who hurt you. I remember a time, this was hard to look back on this. I remember a time I had to call somebody who I had set up as this example, this role model in my life and in the lives of others. I had to call them and I remember very distinctly, I had the phone ready to go. I had the book, Crucial Conversations. It was all tabbed because I recognized this is going to be a really tough conversation. And I remember the reason I had to call this person who I admired so deeply was because of the inappropriate way they had acted towards one of our women at my church at the time. In that passage that we just read, Yahweh casts a vision. And if you're taking notes, I want to invite you to write this down. The Old Testament casts a vision for the kingdom of God that is similar to a well-tended flock. I tell you, once I, where I once saw a God of wrath in the Old Testament, I am now seeing a father who loves fiercely. And he's a really, really, really good shepherd. I did a pretty deep dive in my resource library this week about this whole imagery of sheep and shepherds in the Bible. And I came across this 500-year-old quote from Martin Luther. Check this out. In this single little word, shepherd, are gathered together in one almost all the good and comforting things that we praise in God. Isn't that true? That could be another great jumping off point if we were in a small group. All right, if the kingdom of God is like a well-tended flock, what are the implications for the shepherds and also for the sheep? Remember that passage we just read. In it, God calls out the sheep too. Sheep who are considering, or at least I should say, not considering the needs of other sheep. They're pushing them away. Well, the metaphor of sheep and shepherds that you're going to find throughout the Bible This is what we're going to explore today. If you're just joining us this Lent, we've been looking at seven things that Jesus said about himself as recorded by an eyewitness in a first century document that we call the book of John. Here they are. Number one, I'm the bread of life. Number two, I'm the light of the world. Number three, I'm the gate to the sheephold. Number four, I'm the good shepherd. Number five, I'm the resurrection of life. Number six, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And number seven, I'm the vine. You may have noticed that two of these seven are from John 10, and that's what we're going to turn our attention today. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. Jesus isn't introducing new metaphors in John 10. He's embodying familiar ones. In the book of Ezekiel, what we read earlier, the word of the Lord came to that prophet. In the book of John, it opens with the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us, the word that was with God and the word that was God. Now remember that as Jesus of Nazareth, who was the word made flesh, remember that as Jesus makes these claims. I am the word. All right, here we go. Uh, This is out of John 10. Uh, We're going to go verses 1 through 10. If this sounds familiar, this is because this is the ground that we covered last week. It'll be very helpful if we review it quickly again. Here we go. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold or he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls out his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all of his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. They'll flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said again to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door to the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. Anyone who enters by me will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Do any of these words sound familiar? The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. Now, the context of all of this was a controversy. Jesus had healed a blind man, someone who was physically blind, and then he brought this man came before the synagogue of these other leaders who then Jesus ends up calling out because they were spiritually blind. And they ended up casting this, this guy out. And while this is all happening, and Jesus is saying all these words, the ones we just read and the ones he's about to say, there's a crowd watching. All right, we took a closer look, as I said, about those 10 verses last week. This week, let's take a closer look at the rest of the chapter, or at least as much as we have time for. And it starts with this. Verse 11, the first part says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus doesn't just claim to be like one of the good shepherds that we read about in the Old Testament. He says, I am the good shepherd. He's using the kind of language that we found in the word of God that came to Ezekiel. But what does he do? He takes it even further. Let's read on. Verses 11 through 13. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Now again, remember the context here is a confrontation. One of the resources I looked at put it like this. This is a stinging indictment of those who profess to be shepherds but are actually thieves, robbers, strangers, and hirelings. You know, growing up, I remember, because I grew up going to churches, and I remember when I was a kid, Whenever you'd have a Bible story and they'd be talking about Jesus, the good shepherd, there was Jesus, he's got a little lamb, or the coloring sheets that we would have sometimes, Jesus, little lamb, smiling children, it's all peaceful. What's actually going on in this passage? You got thieves, you got robbers, you got wolves that are going to attack and tear apart the sheep, you got shepherds laying down their lives, and spoiler alert, This chapter is going to end with religious leaders literally picking up rocks to stone Jesus to death. None of that was in my coloring sheets. If it were, I probably would have paid a lot more attention. All right, Jesus continues, verses 14 to 15. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Then look what he says. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. All right, if you could leave the slide up for just a minute, I want to point two things out here. Number one, how deeply does Jesus know and care for his people? What imagery does he use or analogy? 
He says, like I know my father and my father knows me. That's the extent that he knows and cares about us. Number two, note what Jesus doesn't say. Jesus doesn't say, I'm willing to risk my life for the sheep. What does he say? I lay down my life for the sheep. In the chapters that are leading up to this one, Jesus has already begun to receive death threats. And I remember hearing someone once say that Jesus knew that a violent death wasn't just a, quote, dangerous possibility. It was, quote, his vocation. He knew that. His sheep were facing danger. And what does a good shepherd do in those situations? We put ourselves between our sheep and that danger. That's what a good shepherd does. All right, verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not in this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Now, if we wanted to start seeing some people coming to blows, you would start having a conversation about this verse, because there's a whole lot of speculation around verse 16. Who are those other sheep? What does all this mean? I found an excellent, concise summary, and this is as far as I'll go with verse 16. The God of Israel was never interested only in Israel. His call to Israel was for the sake of the whole world. All right, let's keep going. Verses 17 and 18. For this reason, the Father loves me, and I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Did you hear that? No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. As we noted before, Jesus isn't recognizing a risk here. He knows what's going to happen. He knows he's going to be willingly laying down his life. He's got the authority to do that. And he also has the authority to what? To take it up again. Which is what we're building towards this Holy Week. Jesus laying down his life and taking it up again. All right, in these next verses... John reminds us there's a crowd. The crowd is listening while all this is going on. And that crowd is divided. Verses 19 through 21. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of someone who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? We see here in this crowd, Jesus' sheep, as Jesus said, they hear his voice. The others accuse Jesus of what? They say he's demon-possessed. Does anyone see the irony here? You've got these people that are saying, Jesus, he he's demon-possessed. What, what do demons come to do? They come to steal. They come to kill. They come to destroy. What were those Pharisees planning to do? Those things. And what does it say in the Scriptures? about who has the authority to open the eyes of the blind. God himself. Look it up. Psalm 146, verse 8. Exodus 4, verse 11. All right, John continues to remind the reader that there's a divided crowd in their surrounding Jesus. Verses 22 through 24. At the time of the Feast of Dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us, plainly. All right, and if you want to anchor some words, 
that it, in a world like ours that is as broken as this, anchor to what Jesus says next. Listen to this, verses 25 to 28. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you would not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you don't believe me because you're not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, they follow me. I will give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. (laughs) And then he says, I and my Father am, am one. I jumped a little bit ahead here, so good luck putting all the slides there together. Sorry about that. Let me back up to the, they won't take them out of my hand. What a promise. What a promise. When Jesus says no one can snatch them out of my hand, he's not saying they won't face challenges or pain or injustice in this life. A few chapters earlier, on the eve of his own execution, Jesus is going to promise the opposite. He promised that in this world, people are going to hate us just as they hated him. And in this world, Jesus says, you're going to have tribulation. The same Greek word, listen to that, same Greek word that's used by Jesus when he's saying, in this life you're going to have tribulation, it's the same word that Jesus used to describe the pain of childbirth. It's the same Greek word that Jesus uses to describe the kind of afflictions that will cause many to deny their faith. It's the same Greek word that describes the great tribulations at the end of this age. Jesus says, in this world, you're going to have that. You're going to have the tribulation. Jesus promised it. He promised tribulation to his disciples on the eve of his own execution. But what else did he say? He said, my peace I give to you. And it's a peace the world can't give because I have overcome the world. And he proved that. He proved it by keeping another one of his promises. John 2, verse 19, he says, destroy this temple and I'll raise it in three days. Jesus is a promise keeper because he did that. The temple he was speaking of was himself. If he says he can lead us through these dark valleys, through these tribulations, and bring us home, he's able to keep that promise. All right, so again, Sam, sorry I was messing up with the, the order here, but now we're jumping to verses 29 through 30. Actually, we'll go 29 through 33. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch him out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, all right, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, it's not for good work we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, you make yourself to be God. All right. Up until now, these Pharisees, they've been really confused. They haven't been tracking with Jesus. They couldn't follow him. But they knew what Jesus was saying right there. They knew that Jesus was saying things about himself that are only true of God. And they were about to kill him for that. But verse 39 says he escaped their hands. All right, we're getting really, really close now in the scriptures to the place where Jesus leaves Jerusalem to get away from all this. And then he's going to come back. And when he comes back next time, He is going to be killed. He will lay down his life. Where does he go before that? Where? Where does he go? Right before, when he leaves Jerusalem, right before he comes back, where does he go? Jesus goes back to where it all began. I never noticed this before. And when he does, people say something very interesting. 
verses 40 through 42 say this. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first. And many came to him and they said, everything John said about this man is true. And many believed in him there. I want to encourage you, go back to chapter 1. Look at what happened at that place that Jesus is going back to. Look at what John said about Jesus then. He said, behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what he said back at the beginning of John. That is what they remembered, the crowd remembered John had said as Jesus is coming back. Hang on to that thought because we're going to circle back to it in just a second. But first, I want to encourage you to write down this summary of what we've covered today. And then what we'll do is we'll transition to application. We're going to do it really quickly. Here's the summary. Jesus is the good shepherd, and his sheep follow him. That's the summary. Here's the application. Let's talk about it. Let's start with the sheep. I came across this important reminder as I'm preparing this teaching. This story provides an exhortation for the sheep as well. You know, there's a lot being said about the shepherds, but this is about the sheep too. That's also true of John 10. It's true of Ezekiel 34. And it it begs this question, who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? Are you listening to today's Pharisees who emphasize truth and minimize grace when Jesus was full of both? Who teach their disciples to hate their enemies? who place religious burdens on people's shoulders that are too heavy for anyone to bear, who had all kinds of purity tests to Christianity that the Bible doesn't. We did a series on the new Pharisees this fall, this last fall. Their leaven is as toxic now as it was then. So are you listening to them, the new Pharisees, or are you listening to the new Corinthians who emphasize grace and minimize truth when Jesus was full of both? who are quick to follow and identify with celebrity preachers, big on style, short on substance, or who confuse Christian freedom with conforming to culture. I kept getting this image in my head when I thought about the new Corinthians. It's like they're the ones that are enticed by someone saying, hey, candy, kids, come get the candy. In an age when it's so easy to find ourselves following the wrong shepherds, I invite you to imagine this. Imagine a world where more shepherds were becoming more like Christ. Can you imagine that? Godly leaders who are accountable to the full revelation of Scripture. Godly leaders who are becoming a little bit more like Christ each day, whose motives are His motives, who are driven by the love and commitment for people rather than money or power or the spotlight. People who offer God their best. And they keep sharpening their skills. I mean, think about this. What good is a shepherd who can't lead you through dark valleys to the green pastures? Also shepherds. This is what a good shepherd is. A good shepherd are among the first to admit their flaws. Humility may be the single most important qualification for a good shepherd. All we, like sheep, go astray. Can I get an amen? How you respond when you do, that's the mark of a true leader. All right. Good shepherds are all those things. Good shepherds are also good gatekeepers. We talked about gatekeepers last week. Gatekeepers, protecting our people as best we can from thieves and robbers who want to harm others, especially those who are most vulnerable, like kids. And 
Also, protecting people from hirelings. Protecting people who care more about positional authority or personal preferences or the spotlight than they do about what's best for people. Now, it's really, really easy. Really, really easy to just be pointing fingers at all of those people that we think out there are bad shepherds. Let's commit right here, right now to being a people who we're committed to the way of Christ. And that's not easy to do. Not easy to do. Because the way of the Christ is the way of the cross. It takes a lot of faith to go to a cross. It takes a lot of faith to trust God with everything, to surrender everything. But here is something that we can testify to. So many people at our church can testify to this. I invite you to write it down. Christianity doesn't promote blind faith. We can see. We can see the difference it makes when we have shepherds who are like the shepherds in Scripture that we're pointed to. We can see how it's a better thing when sheep aren't muddy in the waters for everybody else or pushing people away. And not only this, when it comes to trusting, here's the last thing I want to invite you to write down for today. Our good shepherd became a sacrificial lamb who conquered death. Why can we trust him with everything? Because he demonstrated his great love when he went to the cross and because he demonstrated his great power when he rose from the grave. Today, we want to give you an opportunity to respond to that, to say right here, right now, I lay down my life for you. Where you lead, I'll follow what you say I'll do. Let me be a sheep of your flock. Let me be a shepherd in your image. Even if it means you're leading me to a cross. I love how Communion Sunday synced up with today's text. A text that that emphasizes Jesus is our good shepherd and a text that has a hyperlink built into it reminding us he's also the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This Communion Sunday, we placed one of Raimundo's crosses that he handmade near the place that people are going to receive communion. And we do that not only to remind us that authentic community begins at the cross, but also to serve as a vivid reminder of the difference, the real difference good shepherds make. Why do I say that? Because as those of you who have been around here a long time know, Ray grew up. In Juarez. And there was a point where he was at Emmanuel Children's Home and the cartel came to kill him. That's what thieves and robbers do, come to kill, steal, kill, and destroy. They came for him, but the good shepherds there at Emmanuel Children's Home found a place where Ray could go. And that place was among us. And now Ramundo is a good shepherd to his kids and his family. In fact, Raimundo was part of the search team that helped us find our newest shepherd, Pastor Henry Burbano, for our church. These are the kind of shepherds that we need more of. So, wherever you are, we invite you to come to that good shepherd today, to come to the cross. And Emmanuel, the only one who's going to keep you from the Lord's table is you. If you can sincerely pray the prayers that we're about to pray we welcome you to the Lord's table. So those of you who are at home, we encourage you to pray these prayers with us and then take your bread, take your juice, receive it as the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Those of you who are here at the studio, we invite you to take a moment, reflect on these words, make these prayers your own, and then come forward to receive. Let's join in prayer. Heavenly Father, to whom all hearts and minds are open and all desires are known, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may more perfectly love you and more worthily magnify your holy name. We confess that we are sinners and cannot save ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We've not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. We are not worthy for these gifts which you're about to receive, but say the word and we will be made clean. And now I invite you to pray these prayers that our good shepherd taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.